is really the essence of faith. There is a refusing and there is a choosing. And it all stemmed from the conclusion that Moses was considering, that he considered that the reward, that the treasures in heaven were greater than anything that all the treasures that Egypt could offer him. Moses refused privilege, he refused power, he willingly chose mistreatment with God's people because he considered the reproach of Christ was a greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. And those were no small treasures, but he was looking to the reward. So you remember, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and that without faith, it's impossible to please God. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and what? That he rewards those who seek him. And Moses was looking to that reward. So my question this morning is, was Moses a fool? When you look at what he traded, was he trading up or down? And the choice that he made, is that what you deem to be a wise and profitable choice yourself? How about us? Are we choosing poorly or are we choosing wisely? Are we trading up to get Christ this morning? Because when you trade up to get Christ, you also embrace mistreatment and reproach. And people will laugh at you. And you are saying goodbye to the fleeting pleasures of sin and treasures of Egypt. You can't have both. Jesus said you can't have two masters. Either you'll love the one and and hate the other, but you're going to be devoted to the one. Which do you refuse and which do you choose this morning? Let me tell you about a few people in history that chose poorly. Get our minds thinking about what you're trading for this morning. In, 19, in 1876, Alexander Graham Bell patented the first telephone. And desiring to cash in on this revolutionary invention, he went to William Wharton, who was the communications king at, at Western Union, and he offered to sell his patent to Orton for $100,000. And Orton and his execs had the monopoly on the telegraph, and they didn't see any purpose in the telephone since it was expensive, The sound was kind of grainy. It didn't work over long distance. And they told Bell, in conclusion, that we've come to the conclusion that it has no commercial possibilities. What use could this company make of an electrical toy? And they said, no thanks. Well, the rest is history. The telegraph faded quickly. The telephone quickly replaced it. Orton chose poorly. In 1962, there was this four-piece guy band that auditioned at the London office of Decca Records. The executive in charge of talent rejected this band because he thought they sounded way too much like the popular group The Shadows, who you've never heard of, me neither. And they told Brian Epstein, their manager, we don't like boys sound, groups are out, and four-piece groups with guitars particularly are finished. Well, over two billion Beatles albums later that have been since sold worldwide, none of them sold with DECA records because DECA chose poorly. In 1970, Pete Rozelle was the commissioner of the NFL and he wanted to bring NFL football to a Monday night venue. And he went to the two leading networks, which were NBC and CBS, and he laid out his argument for why they should buy in. But they had the Doris Day show and a show called The Laugh-In and we're still laughing ever since. They turned him down soundly, so Pete Rozelle went to his third option, the lowly ABC, who said yes. 
And since then, ABC, ABC's Monday Night Football is the longest-running series on American TV and one of the highest-rated. In 1979, billionaire Ross Perot, you may remember him, he ran for president. Well, it was a 23-year-old young upstart named Bill Gates who was willing to sell Microsoft for a price around $50 million, but Perot thought the price was too high. He admitted later that it was the worst mistake he'd ever made in his life. In a 1992 interview, he said with the Seattle Times, I should have just said, now, Bill, you set the price, and I'll take it, whatever you think is fair. But instead, Ross Perot chose poorly. 1982, Steven Spielberg was making the movie E.T. And in one of those classic scenes, I'm sure most of you have seen it, the way to entice E.T., this alien, was to get him to follow the candy trail. And in follow the candy trail, Spielberg called the Mars company, made an offer that he'd give free publicity to use M&Ms as the candy. And in return, we'd like you to promote our movie on your packaging. It's kind of you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Mars Company, though, said no to their M&Ms being in the movie. So Spielberg went to his next choice, Reese's Pieces. Hershey's new chocolate-covered peanut butter candy was struggling, and the sales were sluggish. But they invested a million dollars in promoting E.T. on their packaging so that E.T. would follow the trail of Reese's Pieces. Within two weeks of the release of the movie, Reese's Pieces sales tripled, and within a few months, their sales had gone up 65%. The movie became the ninth highest grossing film in U.S. box office history. Hershey's benefited greatly. The Mars Company chose poorly. In 1997, J.K. Rowling's had a book that she came out with called Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, but she was rejected by 12 publishing firms. Harry Potter books are now considered the fastest selling books ever. In 1999, the internet search engine that had the monopoly on the market was Excite. A young upstart company by the name of Google offered to sell their company to Excite for $750,000. They dropped it from a million. Today, Google is valued at $361 billion, and nobody knows who Excite is, as it's a subsidiary of Ask.com. In the year 2000, the internet upstart Netflix sent some of their top execs to make an offer to Blockbuster CEO John Antioco that they would sell Netflix for $50 million. And Antioco laughed Netflix out of his office because Blockbuster was raking in a half a billion dollars a year in late fees alone. At the top of their game in the 90s, they had 9,904 stores, stores worldwide, and they were topping revenue of 5.9 billion a year. So they laughed Netflix out of their office. Today, Netflix is worth more than 20 billion, and Blockbuster's filed for bankruptcy 10 years later, 2010, they chose poorly. In 2009, America was shocked to find out about Tiger Woods and his extramarital affairs, his adulterous relationships. His wife, Ellen Nordegren, divorced him and the settlement was $750 million. That wasn't all Tiger lost. Not only did he lose his wife, he lost all of his sponsors, Nike, Gatorade, Oodles more. One professor has valued that Tiger Woods' sleeping around has cost him as much as $12 billion. 
and he hasn't won a single significant golf tournament since. He chose poorly. Now consider Moses again. Did he choose poorly? He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You see, Moses' life is 40, 40, and 40. His first 40 years, he's, he's being trained in the best tutelage of the world. He is the prince of Egypt. He's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's there. But then when he goes public and he intervenes and he, he sees an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Israelites and he did have some issues with anger and he killed the guy. And the next day he sees the same thing happening again and he goes to intervene and now the Israelites realize they don't like him either and they found out about what he's doing and word has spread. And so the next 40 years of his life, Moses has made his choice that he's not going to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's going to identify with God's people. But in doing so, they don't like him either. He went from having an Egyptian home to identifying with the Israelites. They don't like him either. And now for the next 40 years, he's on the backside of Midian tending sheep. And then God called him in the last 40 years of his life at 80 years old to go and set my people free. And he chose to follow the Lord. But the beginning of his life, this first mark of his life, he had to relinquish serious power and prestige that he tossed to identify with God's people who are mistreated and suffered reproach. This example would have spoken volumes to the original hearing audience. As you recall, this audience that this writer has written this to, the book of Hebrews, is they're a suffering little church. And they had a hard struggle with sufferings, and they're being called to endure. They have need for endurance, and they're wondering to themselves, is it worth it? Should I keep running the race? And the writer is holding up the example of Moses. Remember Moses? He went public with his faith, and he was mistreated and suffered reproach, but it was greater. He was looking to the reward. He had a greater wealth ahead of him. The Puritan John Owen in his commentary on Hebrews says this, the church in all its distresses is 10,000 times more honorable than any other society of men in the world. They are the people of God. The best that sin can pretend unto is but present transitory pleasure. Moses considered the worst of the people of God, which is their afflictions, and the best of the world, which is the temporary pleas of sin, and preferred the worst of the one above the best of the other. How about you this morning? This he did by faith. I can remember early on in my Christian life, I shared this story before, but it was a coming to an intersection and two of my best friends from high school are going one way and I'm going the other. We stop our cars and they laughed at me when I told them that I was a Christian now and, that I was, and they said, come on, let's go get drunk. And I said, I don't do that anymore. I've become a Christian. And they laughed at me, and they said, you're too young for that. And they drove off, never to be seen again. My friends went one way, and I went another way. And I chose to identify with the people of God. I'll tell you a story which just reminds me of, this is a funny story, but it, it identifies what love looks like of identifying with the people of God. I had two really close friends in college. And uh, one's name's Max, the other's name's Volpe. You've heard about Volpe before. He, 
He was from Brooklyn, and he was very loyal, loved his friends. Max, very insecure. His freshman year in college, that we were not at a big school, Nyack. Our cheerleading squad was pretty pathetic. And so during timeouts every once in a while, the guys would all run out onto the floor and they would spell Nyack, all the letters. And it took about 12 guys. You figure just an N alone is three people to spell an N. You know, you had to spell it in 30 seconds. They run out on the floor. Well, they call a timeout in the middle of a basketball game, full gym, and Max runs out onto the floor, spreads his position, and he looks back, and nobody has followed him. And the whole place is just roaring, laughing. And he looks back as he's laying on his belly, and he looks at Volpe, and he yells, help me. And Volpe went public. He identified with the people of God. He ran out there and grabbed him by the feet, and just pulled him off and, it, and turned it into a very comical where everybody just roared laughing. And they still talk about that. It kind of was a bonding moment in their friendship that you identified with me. I was, I was out to lunch out there and he went public. Well, what about you with the people of God? When the people of God are taking the hits, do you stand with them and say, well, actually, I'm one of them. Do you stand with the people of God? You see, Owen went on to say these two states are irreconcilable. You can't have the treasures of Egypt and the people of God. He says the two states are irreconcilable. If Moses cleaves to the treasures of Egypt, he must renounce the people of God. If he joins himself to the people of God, he must renounce all his treasure in Egypt. The same is true with us today. And a lot of times our Egypt is good things, but Jesus has some very hard things to say, and we have to remember Jesus said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. There must be a leaving before there can be a cleaving. There has to be a trade before there can be a sale. If you're going to close with Jesus, you have to sell this world and leave sin behind like Moses did. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? J.C. Ryle said he would rather be last in, in heaven than the first in hell. If you get the whole world, if you get the car, you get that job, you get that promotion, you get that life, but you miss the boat going to heaven. What do you have? You're on the Titanic, but the sinking's not icy cold water, it's raging hot fire. Jesus put it like this, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and he feasted sumptuously every day, he had it. His gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus covered with sores who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side and the rich man also died and was buried and in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side and he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame but Abraham said child remember that in your lifetime you received your good things 
and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he's comforted here and you're in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you is a great chasm that's been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to, uh, to us. You see, the rich man chose poorly. Jesus put it like this in another parable. He said, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what should I do? I have nowhere to store my crops. And I know what I'll do. I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grains and all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul's required of you. And the things you prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. He chose poorly. In another parable, Jesus said, A man once had a great banquet and he invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who were invited, Come, for everything's now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen. I've got to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife, therefore I can't come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master, and the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done, and there's still room. And the master said to his servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel them, compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet because they chose poorly. And the great cows accompanied him and he turned and said to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yea, even his own life, he can't be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot bear my disciple, cannot be my disciple. You see, Jesus ended his sermon on the mount and he said, Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat on the house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And everyone hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and beat against the house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. And many in the Bible built their house on the sand. And the storms of life came, and they just came crashing down. One of Paul's missionary band that was with him, was his name was Demas. And we were told about Demas simply in 2 Timothy 4.10, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. He chose poorly. Others didn't believe there was a judgment to come and wouldn't heed the warning. Only eight people got in the ark and the rest were drowned because they chose poorly. And the angels came to Lot, to Lot's wife and to Lot's daughters and their fiancés, to all six of them. Right? We got, we got Lot, we got Lot's wife, we got two daughters and fiancés. That's six people. How many are saved and how many chose poorly? Three made it and three did not. They come to him and they said, have you anyone out here, sons-in-law, sons, daughters, or anyone you have in the city to bring them out of this place? For we're about to destroy this place because the outcry against his people has become great against the Lord and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. So Lot went out and said to his sons-in-laws who were to marry his daughters, up, get out of this place for the Lord's about to destroy the city. But he seemed to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. They chose poorly. 
And as the, the three were brought out, once the, the angel said, escape for your life. Do not look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the hills lest you be swept away. But Lot's wife be, behind him looked back and she became a pillar of salt. Lot's wife chose poorly. She wanted what she left more than what was in front of her, so she turned back. She chose poorly. Jesus commented on Lot's wife and just said, remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. The Bible says that Esau sold his inheritance for a bowl of soup. A bowl of soup. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in the field. He was exhausted. Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright because Esau chose poorly. And the writer of Hebrew gives us inspired commentary and solemnly warns us, see to it that you do not fail to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or fornicator or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. He chose a bowl of soup over his inheritance. Samuel's sons, Joel and Abijah, just read this this week, reading 1 Samuel. What happened to Samuel's sons? His sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. They rejected the faith of their father and went after gain because they chose poorly. How about Solomon? In 1 Samuel 10, the queen of Sheba goes to Solomon, and it's the greatest picture of what heaven would look like, this side of heaven. I mean, when she gets there, she says the half has not been told. She's just blown away. She sees the the house that he's built and the food of his table and the seating of the officials and the attendance of the servants and their clothing, his cupbearers, and burnt offering that he offered at the house of the Lord. There was no more breath in her. And she said, the report was true that I'd heard in my own land of your words and of your wisdom, but I didn't believe the reports until I came with my own eyes and had seen it. And behold, the half has not been told me. Your wisdom and prosperity surpassed the report that I heard. Happy are your men. Happy are your servants. I mean, this is like the closest thing to the kingdom here. Who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who's delighted you, set you on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. He's made you king that you may execute justice and righteousness. Sweetness. Then you fast forward about 10 verses and you get to chapter 11. It says, now King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which the Lord had said to the people, you shall not enter a marriage with them, neither shall they with you, or surely they will turn your heart away after their gods. And Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives, his wives turned away his heart. For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God as was the heart of David his father. 
For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the, abom of the Ammonites. And Solomon, so Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He loved foreign women. He clung to these in love. The kingdom was divided from him because he chose poorly. How about you this morning? Jesus says in John 11, he's, or John writing says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, they believed in Jesus, but for fear of the Pharisees, they wouldn't confess it. So that, because they would be put out of the synagogue. These Pharisees chose approval and their fear wouldn't let their faith go public. And as a result, they chose poorly. Felix was hearing the Paul, Paul preach the gospel to him in Acts 24. Governor Felix, after some day Felix came with his wife, Jerusalem, who was Jewish, sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I have an opportunity, when I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. He chose to wait, and Felix chose poorly. Others went away sad. The rich young ruler had many possessions, had great possessions. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him, said, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He chose earthly treasure over heavenly treasure. He chose poorly. A.W. Pink in his commentary on Hebrews says there, there's both a negative and positive side to faith. First a refusing and then a choosing. And the order is unchanging. There must be a ceasing to do evil before there can be a learning to do well. There must be a hating the evil before there is a loving the good. There must be a confessing and forsaking of sin before there is mercy. The prodigal must leave the far country before he can go to the Father. The sinner must abandon his idols before he can take up the cross and follow Christ. There must be a turning to God from idols before there can be a serving the true and living God. The heart must turn its back upon the world before it can receive Christ as Lord. Jesus put it like this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine gold, fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. He chose wisely. Who's willing to sell all this morning to trade up to get Jesus? Who wants mistreatment? Who wants to suffer reproach? Who wants to volunteer to do the, the dirty work? Who wants to, to, to go public with their faith and identify with Jesus and go share him and tell him about others? Who wants to say, I'm a Christian? I love Jesus. Who wants to let go of the pleasures of sin, the treasures of Egypt, all the status of, of the privileges and blessings that come with being the daughter of Pharaoh or the son of Pharaoh's daughter? Who's willing to let that go? Who sees greater wealth, greater treasure, a better possession and abiding one, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore? Do you have faith? to believe that? You see, the worst decision that was ever made in the history of the world was Adam and Eve's eating of the forbidden fruit. And when they ate everything 
got plunged into trouble. The land was cursed. The ground was cursed. Work has become hard. Hard. You're going to work by the sweat of your brow. And even marriage is, is in the context of what was such a blessing and now there's a curse element. Where the woman's told, your desire shall be for your husband. He shall rule over you. There's trouble in marriage. There's trouble in work. There's trouble in, in all that you do because of the fall. But the greatest decision that was ever made in the history of the world was when Jesus said he would go and he would come and save his people. He came down from heaven and he came down to rescue his people, to save them from sin. He did what we couldn't do. We could never have gotten to God, so he came to us and laid down his life. And he calls us to faith and repentance, to believe that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and then to repent of turning away from our idols, to serve the true and living God, because he's coming again. This world is not all there is. This is just the beginning. The new heavens and new earth are before us. And even as we come to this table this morning, we're reminded that this is just the beginning. We will eat with him in the marriage supper of the Lamb. For now, we have to trade all, sell all, and we get Jesus. We get eternal reward. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for holding on, for not wanting to sell, for thinking the price is too high. Lord, how foolish are we. Lord Jesus, you are better. And so we ask that you'd renew our faith as we come to your table and we're reminded of your grace, your steadfast love, your covenant faithfulness. May we praise you and worship you. May we let go of all these things that would charm us. May we resign them afresh. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.